Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Before we start, I want us to have us just to keep our young people in prayer. They're at our annual youth conference uh, this weekend, so you don't see a lot of uh, young people here. They're at the conference, and a lot of the uh, young adults are there as well as, uh, as counselors and chaperones. So, so keep them in your prayers for, for a, a really uh, life-changing uh, experience uh, this weekend at the uh, YMGA camp. Well, we're in a, continuing our series uh, on uh, Sefer Mishlei on the book of Proverbs. Uh, today's part 12. Uh, we're going to look today at the theme uh, of the tongue, uh, our words, uh, our speech. There's actually going to be two parts. This, both this week and next week, we're going to continue on because there's so much in Proverbs uh, on this topic. So in the overhead, we're going to see we have a large number of different uh, scripture verses from the book of Proverbs, from chapters 10, uh, 13, 17, 15, 16, 18, 24, 25. So a lot of, lot of verses today. And it says this, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. When words are many, sin is not absent, but the prudent hold their tongues. From the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The, uh, the lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what's perverse. Evildoers are trapped by their own sinful talk, but the innocent escape trouble. Uh, from the fruit of their lips, uh, people are filled with good things, as surely as the work of their hands brings them reward. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue that brings healing, that tongue is a tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The hearts of the wise guide their mouths, uh, and their lips promote instruction. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. To answer before listening, that's folly and shame. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Of all the things that that Proverbs discusses, after wisdom itself, it talks most about speech, about words, about the tongue, about your language on the overhead. Uh, and Proverbs says, how you speak will make or break your life. So earning, learning, learning how to speak wisely, it's all important. So the overhead, this passage today is going to tell us three things about our tongue. It's going to tell, tell us, number one, about the power of our words. Number two, the character of our words. And number three, the healing of them. So first, the power of your words. Uh, first, we see the power of, of words to wound. Look at Proverbs twelve eighteen. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Reckless words have power to do tremendous damage. 
And once you speak a word, you can never make it as if it had never been said. Once you utter a word, it's uttered. It can never be as if it wasn't. Words have a damaging effect that sometimes can never be completely taken away. Because Proverbs says they're like a sword. Think of the image of a sword. You put a sword into someone. uh, Yes, you can pull it out, uh, but you have not eliminated the wound, have you? If a person survives, the scar is there forever. And this proverb is talking about like a sword slashing words, including slander and gossip, uh, accusations, character assassination, tail-bearing, reckless, rash promises that, that set up expectations and disappointments. They, these all cause permanent, can cause permanent wounds to one's soul. In addition, uh, reckless, rash statements can destroy your credibility in a way where the genie can never be put back in the bottle. And certainly, Rash, reckless criticisms uh, and insults and cutting remarks can sour a relationship in ways that can never fully be healed. So words can wound. But even more than that, look at Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And this is saying that words can not only wound, they can kill. Words have the power of death. Now, the word here for life, chayim, uh, it's a multidimensional word in Hebrew. Uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, it has at least four different aspects. Uh, in the, in the, on the overhead, it can be referring to physical life, uh, personal inner life, uh, psychological life, uh, social or communal or community life, uh, and, and spiritual life. And this proverb is saying that words have the power to destroy all four. First, um, words have the power to literally, physically kill people. Uh, words have been the cause of murder. Words have been the cause of suicide. I just recently read a story, by the way, of a young man whose girlfriend broke up with him and verbally slashed and mocked him. And he went to his car and he got out his gun and he shot himself on her front lawn and committed suicide right in front of her. Words have started wars. Words have killed people physically. Secondly, they kill people psychologically, because words name things. Name a child, call a child stupid, uh, or dull, or ugly. The child will spend the rest of his or her life trying to deal with that psychological wound. Indeed, poisonous things said to you are like toxic chemicals that seep into the ground, like, for example, in East Palestine, Ohio. It just pollutes everything. Uh, and, and some things said to you years and years ago are still distorting and polluting the way in which you see yourself, the way in which you see others, the way in which you see certain kinds of people, the way in which you see the world. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, uh, but names will never hurt me. Maybe we need to reword that old statement in line with what the book of Proverbs says. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can distort and damage and destroy my soul. Indeed, what's done to you is typically far less damaging than what's done in you. And words can get in you. They can pierce like a sword. They go all the way into your soul, your neshama, your nefesh. 
So words have the power to kill physically and psychologically. And third, they have the power to destroy socially, uh, to destroy community. Look at Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man, he stirs up dissension. And a gossip separates close friends. What makes, a go- what makes gossip and slander and tail-bearing uh, and divisiveness so destructive is that they destroy the very thing you need in life, relationship. And as soon as you lie to someone, that means you and that person aren't seeing the same reality. Because you've distorted reality, or told half-truths, to keep part of reality away from that person. And a barrier is immediately set up. You've separated that person immediately. You've isolated them. You have to watch what you say. One deception leads to another. Uh, as the old saying goes, uh, over the tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You've for, you're forced into a, a process of hiding more and more. Uh, so on the overhead, uh, if you lie to your parents, if you lie to your spouse, if you lie to your friends, you're in a process of destroying the very thing you need to live, which is Relationship. And finally, fourthly, words can kill spiritually. Adam and Eve were deceived through words. Words can bring curses. People can be turned off to the gospel when, when, believe, when people claiming to be believers speak in anger or hatred or, or ridicule or prejudice or hypocrisy. Your words are so important that the scriptures say you will give an account on the last day of everything you've ever said when you stand before the Lord Yeshua says this in Matthew 12, uh, 36. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words, you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So in all four of these ways, physically, psychologically, uh, socially, and spiritually, words have power over their hearers to destroy and to wound but words also have power over the speaker as well. This is a surprising theme in the book of Proverbs. Words have enormous power not only over the people who receive the words, who hear the words, but also over those who send them, who speak them. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 13. An evil man is trapped by his own sinful talk. From the fruit of his lips, an innocent man is filled with good things. These Proverbs are saying that evil words destroy you, destroy the speaker. But good words are like fruit. They're like food. Uh, uh, say for Yaakov, the book of James, it, he, go, he goes even further. Look at James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, able to bridle his whole body. Look at the ships also. They're so large, but they're guided by a very small rudder, whereas wherever the will of the pilot directs, Likewise, the tongue. The tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a very small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It it corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Words have tremendous power in your life. How you speak both negatively and positively has an enormous influence on your life 
and on the lives of those who hear you. Let's start with, with negatively. Words clothe your thoughts. Words embody your thoughts. Words clarify and express what you're thinking. Words incarnate your thoughts and make them real. So, for example, if you say to someone, I hate you, I, I wish you were dead. You said hate because you felt it. But after that, you feel it because you said it. Because once you say something, it clothes and strengthens the thought. You said it at first because you felt it, but then you feel it even more because you've now said it. Well, then you say, well, maybe I shouldn't express any, any negative thoughts. But look at Proverbs 10:18. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips. So now what are we supposed to do? Here's what. You're supposed to use your power of speech positively. Here's what you're supposed to do when you have hatred. When you have bitterness, uh, you're supposed to talk about it. Talk about it to God. It's called prayer. Talk about it to a trusted friend or counselor or mentor. It's called confession. And if you do it properly, with a contrite heart, uh, with a repentant spirit, if you say, I have this worldly hatred in my heart, I've got this problem, or I've got this discouragement, or, or I've got this temptation, if you tell it to a trusted confidant with, about what you're struggling on, struggling with on the inside, then it clothes, it makes it easier on the outside to talk about it. It makes it easier to, to understand yourself. When you talk something out with someone, you understand yourself better. It helps you to see what's actually in your heart. Because it closes your, your thoughts and makes them more real and, and transparent and tangible. It makes them visible, so then you can analyze and sift through them in light of the scriptures. And it can get a perspective on them and throw out the ungodly, irrational thoughts more easily if you talk them out. So why is language so powerful? Why does it have such power over the hearers? Why such power over the speaker? Why does it have power in all these ways? Look at Proverbs 18 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We are built for and have a need for words. Words are like food, like fruit. Words are like air. Words are like water for us. There's a word hunger in us, in our souls. We need words to live. We need words both from the inside and the outside uh, to live. First of all, you need words from the inside, uh, from within. You need to express yourself uh, to other people sometimes. Why? Because you want to be known. Do you know how frustrating it is for you to have something on the, uh, burning on the inside and you can't put it into words? Do you know why it's frustrating? Because you want to be known. You want to be understood. And you desperately need a word from the inside uh, to express yourself because you want to be known. Like Adam and Eve, they, they were naked and unashamed. They were fully known by God. You want people to understand you. It's incredibly important to, to being human. We cannot live without words from the inside. But secondly, we cannot also live without words from the outside. We need to hear words from other people from, from the outside. You know, there's a popular psychology that says it doesn't matter what other people say, but, but say, say about you. It shouldn't matter at all. But only, what only matters is what you think about yourself and what you say about yourself. But that just doesn't work. <laughs> it's not true. 
Imagine, for example, you're an artist. You've been producing art for, for 10 years. And every single person who's ever seen your art walks in and says, this is terrible. <laughs> this is worthless. Everyone. What do you say? Do you say, who cares? All that matters is what I think? No. <laughs> you probably give up. <laughs> Someone has to come, somebody has to come in and th- th- those 10 years and say, this is great, I love this. Or at least say, hey, hey, you've got potential. <laughs> I see something I didn't see before. This is wonderful. You've got uh, maybe great technique, great use of, of medium, uh, fantastic use of color or shading or perspective or lighting. Someone has to affirm you from the outside. In fact, you don't even have a self unless someone says from the outside who you are. You need a word from the outside to affirm, to validate you. You need words from the inside, and, and you need words from the outside. Book of Proverbs says they're life, they're food. And one of the worst possible things, therefore, is the silent treatment. And we men, by the way, we're typically more guilty of this uh, than our wives, more than they're guilty uh, uh, with their husbands. Uh, but either way, it's awful. I confess in the past I've been guilty of this uh, with Elizabeth, and I deeply regret it uh, and repent of it. We don't live by bread alone. We live by the word. We need words desperately. Because we're made in the image of the triune God, from all, who from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they've been communicating with each other. Which means that God has known within himself the absolute joy of the perfect word from the inside to perfectly express yourself uh, and the perfect word from the outside to have someone constantly glorifying you and loving you and praising you and affirming you. God knows within himself the absolute joy of perfect communication. Word from the inside, word from the outside, and he made us in his image. And in fact, think about how God created the universe. He didn't just make heaven and earth. He simply said, let there be. He spoke it into existence. God communicated in order to create. God communicated in order to create you. And we're made in his image. We cannot live by bread alone. So on the overhead, number one, that's the power of our words. Now, also, we need a certain kind of a word, a certain kind of speech. We need a certain kind of language. So let's talk now about number two, the character of our words. The Bible tells us what kind of speech we need to receive, what kind of speech we need to give. Because the words have power over both the hearer and the speaker. So what are the characteristics of these words that we desperately need, without which we cannot live, that we desperately need to give and to receive? And there are five characteristics highlighted in these verses from Proverbs. We have them on the overhead. And by the way, this this list here is at first discouraging. Because if you take your own words, your own speech, and compare them to these five characteristics, you will quickly see how far short you fall. Here's what we're being told in the book of Proverbs. We need, number one, truthful, honest speech, not deceptiveness. Second, we need kind and gentle speech not harshness. Third, we need wise and apt speech, not carelessness. Fourth, direct, uh, forthright, uh, courageous speech, not gossip. And finally, economical speech, not impulsiveness of, of too many words. 
So first, our speech must be, be truthful and honest and not deceptive. Look at Proverbs twelve seventeen. A truthful witness gives honest testimony. But then Proverbs 15, 4, but a, de- a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. One of the things these Proverbs are, te- Proverbs are telling us, it's possible to say something that, that's technically true, but you know it's deceptive. Your words can be technically true, but they're not the whole truth, and therefore have, have a misleading effect. So, for example, if a violent Antifa riot's going on, and it's looting and burning and destructing and, and violence all over the city, but you film one little part of the protest that's not violent, and you label it as mostly peaceful, that's deceptive. <laughs> so when someone says, well, it wasn't really a lie, what you mean is you technically told the truth, but you deceived. It has the same effect as an outright lie. When you deceive someone, you're denying them the right to know reality. You're putting a shroud, a covering, over a part of reality. And this deception leads to two things. It leads, number one, to the destruction of community. And number two, you ruin, ruin the other person's ability to make wise decisions based on all the facts and the entire context. You make decisions based on what you know about reality. The more of reality you know, the more informed and reasoned your decisions will be. The less, re- the less reality you have, the more chaotic and destructive your decisions will be. You must not deceive people through your speech. In societies where you can't trust, for example, what the government is telling you, these societies eventually fall apart. Uh, there was, this was, in fact, this is one of the, of the major factors that led to the eventual collapse of the old Soviet Union. Nobody could trust or rely on anything the government ever said. It eventually caused economic breakdown. Uh, reminds me of this old funny saying in the old Soviet Union, we'll put it on the overhead, uh, about these two key newspapers they had in Russia, uh, Pravda and Izvatsya. And it said, in Pravda, truth, there is no news, Izvatsya. And in Izvestia, news, there is no truth, Pravda. And tragically, the same thing is happening in America today. We can no longer trust the government or the mainstream media or the social media. We're all dissenting views are canceled uh, and censored and blocked. And there's now this unholy alliance between government and social media and, and mainstream media, known now as the, the censorship industrial complex. Uh, uh, we all band together to deny you the truth. We need honest, truthful, non-deceptive language. And the overhead, number two, we also need gentle and kind versus harsh and cutting language. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. You must speak truly, but gently. In fact, kindness and gentleness are two of the fruits of the Spirit that every believer is commanded to walk in. These are demonstrations that you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit. These are two of the nine fruits of the Spirit, kindness and gentleness. Now, by the way, gentle does not mean mamby-pamby, oversensitive, wimpy, mealy-mouthed weakness. No. Look at Proverbs 25, 15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. This phrase, a gentle tone breaks a bone, it's actually a Hebraic idiomatic way of saying that, that gentle words can break down the most hardened resistance to an idea that a person may possess. 
Gentle speech, therefore, can still be pointed. Gentle speech can even be argumentative. Gentle speech can be contradictory to the listener. Okay, well, then what's gentle speech? Well, let's look at the antonym. Let's look at the opposite. And the second half of this verse, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the opposite of gentle is harsh. This Hebrew word for, for harsh actually means literally uh, to inflict pain. So on the overhead, uh, here's a test. Your language must be motivated not to put someone in their place, not to prove that they're wrong, not to belittle them, but rather your motivation must be love. And yet at the same time, a gentle word is bone-breakingly clear. But in tone, in purpose, in voice, in motivation, it must be kind. Here's one way to tell if you're being gentle in your speech. It's when your listener says, I don't want to hear what you're telling me, but it's obvious that you love me, and it's even painful for you to say these hard things to me. If they can tell you're saying something that's hard for them to hear, but painful also for you to say, that's one test of gentleness. And note that there's nothing more, on the overhead, there's nothing more persuasive than gentleness. A gentle word turns away wrath. In contrast, what's in contrast? Sarcasm, harshness, put-downs, slams, snarky comments, uh, offensive language. That does not persuade. That does not change hearts or minds. You may win the battle, but but you've lost the war. You're not going to get your way. Uh, You're not going to get the truth out. So on the overhead, speech must be honest and truthful, number one. Number two, uh, gentle and kind. And then number three, it must be wise and apt. Look at Proverbs 10.32. The lips of the righteous know what's fitting. And this word fitting literally means delightful or, or pleasing. It means you choose your words to fit the sensibility of the listener so that your words are moving and attractive. Proverbs 25.11. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. This Hebrew word word used here for apt, it's actually an idiomatic phrase in the Hebrew. It means uh, fitting or skillful. Uh, It has to do with timing. Your words may be true, or if they're spoken at the wrong time, they're not going to be heard. It's not adapted to the sensibility of the hearer. It's not, not adapted to the right time. Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. This is, by the way, the only place in the entire Bible where a kiss on the lips is mentioned. And it actually means something different than what it does now. You know, when you read this, it sounds like what it's saying is to be honest is is the loving thing, like kissing him on the lips. But it actually, Hebraically, means more than this. Uh, Herodotus actually tells us something about the cultural meaning at the time. This is what he writes on the overhead. He says, when one man meets another, it's easy to see if they're equals, for then... Without speaking, they kiss on the lips. If there's a small difference in rank between the two men, it's the cheek that's kissed. But if there's a great difference in rank between the two men, the humbler bows and kneels before the other. And that's the reason why the commentators say this is a very interesting verse. Because what this is saying is that it's the responsibility of the communicator to adapt, to make sure you don't merely say, well, I said the truth but you said it in a way they couldn't hear. 
but rather it's your job to adapt, to come down, to find out exactly what that person needs to be ordered, to enable them to hear uh, in order to get the truth across. So here's an example. Here's a husband and a wife. The husband comes from a family in which communication patterns are very indirect. People aren't open about their feelings. Things are not said out in the open, but rather they're just kind of hinted at in, in indirect, oblique ways. But the wife, she comes from a family where everyone just blurts out their feelings and opinions. You just say it out loud. Maybe you have a quick altercation. And then, and then you let bygones be bygones. And afterwards, nobody even thinks twice about it. So you come into the marriage. Now, what if the husband insists on using the communication patterns from his family when speaking to his wife? Here's what happens. Over and over, you're going to hear this. The wife says, I had no idea you felt this way. The husband says, I told you. You know, kind of in little hints, very subtle, indirect. I told you. He insists. No, he didn't. He didn't find her lips. He didn't find her lips. That's not communication. That's not apt. Or what if she uses her speech patterns on him from her family? Very direct, very in your face. And then maybe something like this happens. The wife says, why are you calling a lawyer? Uh, because I thought you wanted a divorce. No, I didn't care. I was a little upset at the time. It was no big deal. I got it off my chest. It's over. It's no big deal. The husband says, well, it sounded like a big deal to me. She hadn't found his lips. She hadn't communicated to him in a fitting, skillful, apt way that he could hear and receive. Proverbs 25.11, when it talks about an apt word on the overhead, it's like apples of gold and settings of silver. Or when Proverbs says, a uh, fitting words like a kiss on the lips, you're saying that words need to be adapted uh, and lovingly crafted to the circumstances, uh, to the need, and to the capacities of the person you're speaking to. It's your responsibility as the communicator, through everything you possibly can, to make sure that what you say is hearable. And if you don't do that, you're failing as a communicator. One of the reasons we have so many problems uh, in our families, uh, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our society. But if you communicate aptly, it's like a kiss on the lips. It's like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's like artistic craftsmanship. It's exquisite. It's beautiful. So on the overhead, you need truthful speech. You need kind and gentle words. You need apt, contextualized, beautiful words. Now, number four, you need direct words. Look at Proverbs ten eighteen. He, he who conceals his hatred has lying lips. He who spreads slander is a fool. Now, if your emphasis is always on being a truthful, direct person, you tend not to work as much on kindness and gentleness and aptness. But if you're really concerned about kindness and gentleness and aptness, then there's a tendency not to be transparent and open and direct. And you die without both kinds of words. You need both kinds of speech, of words. You can't just work on honest, direct words and ignore kind and gentle and apt words. And also, but you must be willing to be direct and tell people the truth uh, when they need to hear it. You must not be a coward. You've got to say it. So you need words that are, one, truthful on the overhead, uh, kind and gentle, apt, number four, direct, and then five, finally, what I'm going to call economical. Look at Proverbs 10, 19. 
When words are many, sin is not absent. Now, to say this to a preacher, who also happens to be a lawyer, who's paid by the word, (laughs) it's a very discouraging verse. (laughs) Busted. (laughs) Uh, Now, here's what I think this is saying. For you to consider whether a word is truthful enough, kind enough, apt enough, direct enough, it's impossible if you say too many of them. (laughs) And therefore, the more you speak, the more likely you're going to harm somebody. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent will seem wise. Those who keep their lips shut are smart. And yet, on the other hand, we need words. So if you're shy and you're silent and you're lip-locked, you don't speak out, you're not direct, we die without good words. So the balance, in the end, is being economical and careful so that your words are true and kind and apt and direct and economical. Having said all this, if you think about it, we're in trouble. Because if your words are not like this, and whose are, for honest... You're slowly dying. And if you're not getting words like this from other people, you're, you're dying. Because our text says, Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who have the language they need from both inside and outside uh, have the life of a feast. But for most of us, we're more like in a famine. We're not able to speak like we should, We're not able able to listen like we should. What are we going to do about it? So in the overhead, we see here the power of our words and the character of our words. Now finally, number three, the healing of our words. Book of Proverbs tells you how your words can be healed. So that your words are the words that you need to speak and you need to hear from others. How do we get that? Look at Proverbs 16, 23. A wise man's heart guides his mouth. And Yeshua picks up on this. Look at Matthew 12, uh, 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. How can you, he says, who are evil, say anything good? For it's out of what fills the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of what fills the heart that the mouth speaks. Now, it would be very easy to take our prior discussion and just make a list and talk about truthful words, kind words, apt words, direct words, economical words, and just say, okay, I'm going to work on this list. I'm going to really watch my words. But willpower is not enough. Just trying is not enough. And the overhead. Why? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you need a new heart. The only thing that can change your words is a change in what fills your heart. Yeshua says what fills your heart determines how you speak. All of your mouth problems come from my heart problem, what's in your heart. And biblically, by the way, what is the heart? Biblically, the heart is is not just the seat of your emotions, but the heart is is the, the control center of your entire life, your entire self, mind, will, and emotions. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about what you most hope in. Uh, It's talking about what you most love, what gives you meaning in life, what you're really living for, 
What you're really looking to for your significance uh, and your security. That, biblically, is your heart. And Yeshua says it's out of the overflow of that that all of your problems arise, including your ungodly speech. Look at Mark 7, 21. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It all comes from your heart. So, for example, why do you lie? You say, well, because I'm a sinner like everyone else. Yes, but why do you lie in the particular way that you do? Some people, for example, some people tend to spin the truth more when they're scared of hurting someone's feelings. Others are more likely to spin the truth when they're otherwise going to be inconvenienced. They don't mind hurting someone's feelings, but they're, motiv- they're not motivated by other people's approval. Excuse me. Uh, they don't want to be inconvenienced. So maybe they say, we're busy when they're really not busy. Or they have a, we have a prior engagement uh, when they don't. But for some people, they don't mind being inconvenienced, but having the other's approval is all important. It's their functional salvation. And that's the heart motive behind why they lie. Because they need to look good. And they need to not offend. On the overhead. Every lie comes because your heart is filled with something that at that moment is the most important thing to you. It's your functional Lord and Savior. And your heart problems eventually become word problems. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your word problems come from what's in your heart. So how can you heal your words? And the answer is what happened way back in Acts chapter 2 uh, at Shavuot, at Pentecost. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, the first thing that was healed was their tongues. Their speech was affected. They became so eloquent that even if you didn't know their language, uh, and they didn't know your language, you heard a word. They perfectly addressed themselves from the inside. And the listeners heard a perfect word from the outside. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had filled their language. It had filled their heart with something new that became their language. The Holy Spirit filled their heart. Acts 2 and Pentecost, Shavuot, it's, it's actually the reverse of the curse of the Tower of Babel. Now, back in Genesis 11, because the people's hearts were filled with making a name for themselves, self-glorification, language ceased to work at Babel. They could not express themselves in a way that could be understood. No one could understand a word from the inside. No one could receive a word from the outside. Their language broke down. But in Acts 2, at Pentecost, at Shavuot, their language was healed. Why? Because their hearts were then filled with something. It's not what fills the heart that the mouth speaks. So what were their hearts filled with? Their hearts were filled with Yeshua. When Yeshua came into the world, we read in John 7, 46, it says, Never a man spake like this man spake. No one ever used language like Yeshua. Look at everything Yeshua ever said. Not one unnecessary word. Not one unapt word. Not one unkind word. Not one untruthful word. No one ever spoke like Yeshua spoke. 
But it was more than that. Yeshua wasn't just a great example of speaking. Yeshua is the Word. John 1, he says he's the Word of God incarnate. The Word of God made flesh. Look at John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Hebrew 1 tells us he's also the final Word. Hebrew 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. That many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. Yeshua is the Alpha and the Omega, the Alpha and the Tav, the beginning and the end. He's the first letter, he's the last letter, and he's everything in between. He's the whole dictionary. <laughs> he's the word and the only word that will satisfy the infinite word hunger of your soul. Why? Why is he the ultimate word? Why is he the only thing that will heal your heart and therefore also heal your mouth? And the answer is this. When Yeshua went to the cross, he got the ultimate silent treatment. When he cries out in Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he might as well have said, My God, my God, why aren't you speaking to me? Yeshua, he was crying out to the Father, but there was a complete breakdown of language, of communication between the Father and the Son. Yeshua got the cosmic silent treatment. Why? Well, you and I, we've been abusing each other with our language for so long. We made such a mess of our world because of our words and the way in which we slash each other all the time with our words that we're the ones who deserved the silent treatment. We deserve it. But Yeshua got it for you. He suffered it for you as the suffering servant. And because Yeshua received the ultimate silent treatment, you and I can now get a word from the outside that our hearts need more than any other word. The word that says, you are my beloved child. With you, I'm well pleased. And Yeshua's immersion, his baptism, his, 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 uh, his, his immersion, the Holy Spirit came down upon him and God the Father proclaimed in Matthew 3.17, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, with whom I'm delighted. But then Ralph Shaul, Paul has the audacity, audacity to say in Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself now testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is to say, unlike religion, which says if you live a good enough life, maybe when you get to the end of your life, God might accept you into heaven. No, through the Holy Spirit, because Yeshua got the silent treatment for you, because he took the penalty for you, you can now hear the one word from the outside that you so desperately need. The only word that will heal your heart and heal your lips to hear now God say to you, if you're in Yeshua, if you're living for him, I am delighted with you. You are my child. And if you hear that, to the degree it resonates in your soul, hallelujah, to that degree your speech will be healed. And you won't need to lie anymore. You won't need to slash people anymore. Finally, you're free to tell the truth and to hear the truth because you've received the ultimate word of God, Yeshua. You don't worry if you're not eloquent. At the triumphal entry, remember, remember the Pharisees are trying to get the people to stop praising Yeshua? And Yeshua says in Luke 19.40, I tell you, if these keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. So you could be a stone, but if you know who he is, and if through the Holy Spirit he has come into your life, 
and he dwells in you, your words will be truthful and kind and apt and beautiful. For Deuteronomy 8.3 says, We live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, music team, to come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for this word today on our speech, on our tongue. Hallelujah. You tell us, Lord, the tongue uh, brings heal- the, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Help us, Lord, to have these kind of healing words that bring life to other people. Forgive us for our words that have not brought healing, but were gossip, and slander, accusation, attack, insult, that only brought division and animosity and alienation and separation of friends. Our tongue can set a whole forest on fire and brings on the fires of hell. So forgive us, Lord. We repent, we repent of our unruly tongue. We need you, Yeshua, to redeem our tongue, to redeem our speech. But even more than that, Lord, we need you to redeem our hearts. For it's out of the overflow of our heart that our mouth speaks. Our speech reveals our heart. If our speech is evil, it's because our heart is evil, Lord. So we need new hearts, which only you, Yeshua, can give us. You are the author of the new heart, the author of the new spirit, of the new life, the new birth. Yeshua, you are the word, the word of God made flesh and incarnated in our midst. Lord, you received the silent treatment that we might hear those ultimate healing words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. These are the words, Lord, we desperately need to hear. Lord Yeshua, cleanse our hearts and our tongues, that our speech might truly be like apples of gold in settings of silver, fitly spoken and life-giving and empowered by your Spirit. How we speak, Lord, will make or break our lives. So give us your words to speak, Yeshua. For we pray this in your name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.